This is the EPFR Exchange Podcast. All opinions expressed by Cam, Todd, and our podcast guests are solely of their own opinion and do not reflect the opinion of EPFR or Informa, its parent company. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for investment decisions. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the EPFR Exchange Podcast. My name is Kirsten Longbottom, and we are joined here today by EPFR's resident economist, Cameron Brandt. We'll walk you through what our teams were monitoring last week and the data that EPFR tracks, as well as what we'll look for in the upcoming weeks. Cam, a nice long weekend and a bit of a shortened week. Did you have any better luck in Cape Cod? Hopefully the fish were a little bit more active. (laughs) Well, actually, I think the fish decided that they had a three-day weekend as well because they were (laughs) conspicuous in their absence. But, um, you know, that wasn't too much of a penance. Uh, The the weather was good. Uh, Enjoyed some good sunsets. uh, Took it easy. uh, finished, Finished a book. So, all good. Yeah, Yeah, worthwhile anyway. Good. Yeah. So the market was quite um, noisy this week. Uh, We have rising Eurozone inflation, which reached a record rate of 9.1% last month amid um, rocketing natural gas price caused the ECB just to take some action. Um, In July, it raised rates by half point, which was the first increase in 11 years. And in the latest week, they raised interest rates by 75 basis points. Some say they've tossed away their usual rule book of incremental increases, and the Federal Reserve is expected to follow suit in this hawkish option. How are we seeing this reflect in EPFR-tracked fund flows, and do you think it's possible for the ECB or Fed to overdo monetary tightening? (laughs) Well, last week we talked about anticipation of pain. Uh, This week, some of that anticipated pain actually uh, arrived. Um, You know, in the European context, um, there's so many issues that need to be dealt with. you know, the, the ECB was increasingly backed into a corner there in that uh, inflation was starting to affect uh, social stability and the kind of support for the Eurozone. Uh, and, uh, you know, a lot of its ultra-easy monetary policy has been aimed at those those goals, you know, uh, frequently hand in glove with more conventional ones, such as preventing deflation. Um, so you know they certainly did felt they didn't have any choice. We, you know, there are well known <laughs> problems with them being more aggressive. Uh, you know, front and center is the sort of debt profiles of some of the the larger economies. Uh, um, we saw an immediate reaction in, in, in Italian bond fund fl- flows to those turned to the biggest outflow we've seen since 2018. Um, <laughs> you know, it, it's it's somewhat hard to know at the moment where to start with Europe. There are so many issues that policymakers are wrestling with there uh, while trying to hold together the, the kind of two 
supranational bodies, the European Union and the Eurozone. Um, to, as far as your other question goes, uh, it depends what your definition is uh, of success. Uh, and that has been a sort of an elusive element in this debate. Um, you know, if, if success is driving inflation back to around 2%, um, <laughs> they're somewhat off the overkill mark. Um, but uh, if you accept that certainly the Fed's mandate uh, has, has expanded to the point where, uh, you know, tight labor markets and, and positive economic growth uh, are equally important parts of their, certainly the, the public's perception of their mandate. Uh, yeah, they might then that you might say they're pretty close uh, to uh, pushing the economy into areas where, you know, unemployment will start to rise and we may get a recession. You know, while the interest rates tend to get the attention because you know it's very easy to, you know, we all deal with interest rates. Uh, we don't uh, deal with multi-trillion balance dollar balance sheets, um, and that is a, a bit of the equation that probably deserves more attention than it's getting. Uh, you know, the Fed has has promised to start winding down the latest increase in its balance sheet caused by the, the need to respond to the economic shock delivered by the COVID pandemic. Um, but, uh, you know, the, the increments are honestly you know, been fairly small so far. I'm not sure that they've reached their monthly target, which was around $45 billion. Uh, but that sort of steps up into the, uh, I believe, the 90 billion range starting in September. At least that's their stated goal. Uh, and, you know, we saw the mar market sort of begin to react with uh, you know, mortgage-backed security, bond funds uh, having, uh, you know, a noticeably larger outflow than they've seen before. Um, so, I mean, to answer your question, it's, it's still not clear which policy goal will, in the end, be the one that uh, they both in Europe and the U.S., they measure success by. Um, I think we're still a little ways from overkill, uh, certainly in the U.S., by all of the measures. But, you know, if less stable, uh, high levels of employment uh, and economic growth are actually the goals, then they're running out of track. <laughs> so another factor for European markets was that Russia made the move to completely shut down the Nord One Stream pipeline, which travels under the Baltic Sea, um, connecting supplies from Russia to Germany. The effects will likely be a slowdown in European economies and more hikes in, in the price of gas. Does this decision accelerate European markets towards a recession? It's certainly certainly not helpful. Um, interestingly, I, I think if, if it, 
if Europe hadn't been hit by uh, a number of other factors, uh, of which, interestingly, the drought they've been dealing with has been a, a major one, you know, this would not be good news, but it would not perhaps translate into the shock markets are beginning to fear it will deliver uh, to, to, to Europe's economy. Uh, you know, natural gas storage levels are high. You know, people are responding to, you know, please to use uh, energy ever more thriftily, and 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 you know they're certainly getting price signals to that effect. So, uh, you know, I think we'll certainly see some demand destruction. Uh, unfortunately, what has happened with with the drought is that it's exacerbated uh, some of the energy and transportation related issues. Um, it's made it harder for uh, France to. Uh, keep its operational nuclear plants at at full steam. Um, you know, it's complicating transport transportation uh, of stuff, including energy uh, in Germany. You know, the Rhine now is not able to fulfill its usual uh, <coughs> volumes. Um, but. Um, People tend to be more resilient than 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 you think. Um, you know, Europe has lived through some some fairly serious energy shocks in the 1970s, and it certainly wasn't pretty. But uh, you know, people do respond. Um, and there's obviously some wild cards. If we have another mild winter. <laughs> um, you know, it won't be good. It'll certainly cause some economic growth, but um, you know, there is there is a fairly wide range of scenarios here, from worst case scenario, which is that uh, global energy supplies <laughs> remain incredibly tight, um, yeah, non-business demand is pushed higher by a cold winter, et cetera, et cetera. And then there's the more benign ones, which is that, uh, you know, sources of supply uh, outside of Russia continue to ramp up. Uh, a milder winter doesn't put as much stress on, on stocks from residential users. Uh, I think it's still a little too early to, to tell. It will play out, I guess. <laughs> um, so one region that seems to steer clear of the noise we've kind of described so far is Japan, which posted an inflow at a 12-week high. What's your take on this? One week is it, it does not represent a trend. And I think the, the, the sort of tr the, the uh, trend that that uh, that inflow sort of swam against was fairly steady outflows. Um, uh, Japan is uh, is not helped by Chinese economic weakness, uh, and you know if you throw in the fact that the central bank in its uh, second largest market, the U.S., is making a lot of hawkish noises, which could translate into diminished growth and appetite for Japanese exports. Um, you know, so, some of the, the issues uh, it it is dealing with aren't going to go away. Um, it's also under pressure from the currency dynamics. Um, 
the uh, you know with the U.S. R- ramping up interest rates, the dollar continues to strengthen against the yen. And while a certain degree of that certainly gives Japanese exporters a competitive advantage, that uh, advantage uh, is going to be diminished. You know, if they keep having to import uh, dollar-denominated raw materials, you know, to feed into their production process. Um, so, um, though, de- you know, there's definitely. Japanese equity that uh, offers value and still, you know, good brands. Uh, I think that uh, Japan is not as much of an outlier in terms of being able to avoid some of the pain. Um, And there remains another sort of more esoteric question that could become more real, which is, you know, how long can the Bank of Japan maintain its current ultra-easy policy when uh, everyone uh, around them uh, is raising rates? Uh, domestic Japanese capital is notoriously sticky, um, and with low inflation rates you know, and even deflation, uh, there has <coughs> the very low returns haven't haven't been penalized the way you know here if you just put the cash under your mattress it loses value at a pretty steady clip um but uh you know so there's still a question of could circumstances uh force the bank of japan to join the global tightening party which would be a big shock through uh you know the tactical asset allocation in japan um, yeah, as I said, that's still a somewhat remote one, but there are definitely investors who are thinking about that. Great. Well, thank you, Cam, for all of your insight. Good. Well, th- thank you. Uh, you know, next week, perhaps we'll, we'll make it through to sectors. <laughs> <laughs> Possibly. <laughs> Possibly. Good. Well, have a great weekend. You too. Bye. Thanks for listening to the EPFR Exchange Podcast. For more information or to suggest a topic for a future podcast, please visit epfr.com slash podcast. 